1 Samuel chapter number 13. And near the end of the chapter, verse number nine, 19, I'm sorry, uh, we're going to read uh, just through verse number 22. I have a quick word of prayer, and then uh, I'll, I'll deliver what the Lord has on my heart tonight for you. The Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 19, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his culture and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for their mattock and for their cultures and for the forks and for the axes to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan, his son, was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out of the passage of Mishmash. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you as we look through the scripture, not only here, but then in the, in the chapter to follow. We ask that you'd open our hearts and understanding. You'd challenge us, and Lord God, teach us directly from your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen message this evening I'm going to deliver to you is called Two Swords in Israel. As we look at this passage of Scripture, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, the way it started when we read in verse 19, it said there was, no found, uh, there, there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel. That doesn't mean a guy by the name of Smith. It means a, a, like, like a blacksmith, uh, a man that would work with iron, a man that could make and form, um, you know, the... Uh, spears and the weapons of war, the, swor- the swords and such. And uh, uh, the reason why is because they were being oppressed. They were uh, uh, being controlled by the Philistines. And so this oppressing army decided, hey, let's make it easy. If there happens to be a battle, we don't want our enemies to have any weapons. And so they confiscated them all. And apparently, though, the Bible says, but with uh, Saul and Jonathan, uh, his son was there found. There, there, there was a sword for Saul and Jonathan. Now, this was probably a ceremonial thing. They probably gave Saul a sword and Jonathan, the rightful heir, a sword um, because they were the king and, and, and his son. And, and this was something that, uh, you know, they probably let them go ahead and have as heads of state, so to speak, for ceremonies. But here's an army that doesn't have a sword. But there are two swords in all the land of Israel. Now, um, <clears throat> these two swords... And the guys that possess these swords, Saul and Jonathan, uh, they reacted in a very different way with the, uh, the responsibility that goes along with possessing one of the only swords, one of the two swords in all of Israel. Chapter number 14, uh, if you would look, and we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at several verses throughout chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says this, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison and on the other side. But he told not his father. So, pausing there, we'll read verse 2 in just a moment. Jonathan has a sword, and he says, You know what? I have a responsibility because I have a sword. I have a responsibility to engage the enemies of God 
And I'm going to do that, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to take my sword, and I'm going to engage in warfare against the enemies of God, and I'm going to go to the garrison of the Philistines. That was his attitude. That's what he did with the responsibility that rested on his shoulders. Chapter 14, verse 2, tells us what Saul did, the guy with the other sword. Verse 2 says this, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. He's got this awesome army. Now, they don't have a sword. But you can imagine Saul is going to have the toughest dudes around him that there is. He's got 600 of the toughest dudes. He's got one sword. What's he doing with that? He is sitting under the pomegranate tree. I don't know. Maybe he's drinking pomegranate iced tea. I have no idea. But he's just chilling. He's taking it easy. Jonathan, on the other hand, he says, I need to go to war. I'd like you to switch gears just a little bit and think along the lines that the responsibility lies on those who uh, possess the weapons of today. If I can say it this way, there's not a lot of swords in Christianity these days. There's a lot of falsehood that's out there. There's a lot of uh, emphasis and thrusts that are not aimed at souls. There's a lot of, uh, uh, the emphasis seems to be for, you know, fame and fortune. But what you saw happen today, this morning, what happens here week after week, people that are concerned about souls, restoring people, That doesn't happen all the time. Why is that? Because we have the truth. We have the truth. And if I could say that there's a lot of falsehood out there, but you have the truth in this this church. It's like a sword. Of all of Christianity, there's not a a lot of religions and the isms and schisms that grow in this world. Truth is very, very limited. But we've got the truth. Therefore, we have the sword. Therefore, we have the responsibility. I want you to uh, agree with me in your heart this evening that not, not only is, is, the, is the truth like one of the swords, but, but opportunity is one of the swords. Do you understand that there are people that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior in third world countries tonight, but they do not have the opportunity to reach the world like we do. I mean, we are blessed beyond... Uh, uh, Anything that we can imagine, we we just can't really get a good grip on on how blessed we are. We have all the advantages here in the West of of, of media. We have all the advantages of uh, uh, you know being able to broadcast and to on, on the internet, and we're able to live stream and we're able to put it on media. I mean, and these are great opportunities. We get around, and you do you understand how many people we bump into every day. But there are people in third world countries that might only bump into a dozen people repeatedly for months on end. We have the truth and we have the opportunity. That's the two swords, I believe, that Christianity possesses. And the question, and maybe I'm giving you the end at the beginning, but the question is, what are you going to do with that sword that you possess? Truth and the sword of opportunity. Are you going to be like Saul who is just 
chillaxing under the pomegranate tree? Or are you going to be like a Jonathan and say, I've got a job to do. I'm going to war. And if you'll uh, uh, open your heart and let the Lord lead you, you're going to find that you can do amazing things. One of my favorite guys in all the Bible, we're going to be introduced to here just in a few minutes, but I can't tell you his name. I don't know anything about him. It's Saul's or, or Jonathan's armor bearer. This is one faithful and loyal guy. Jonathan and his armor bearer decide they're going to go with one sword into the garrison of the Philistines. I mean, I, I don't know, if you, if you like tough guy stuff, this is tough guy stuff. This is amazing that these guys would do this. Look, look with me, if you would, please, and let's look at some of the things that uh, uh, they decide to do. It's a really, it's, it is a bold plan. Chapter number 14, look, if you would, in, um, uh, I, I think verse 6 is a good place to look. Chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint by the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then, Jonathan, uh, then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. I mean, this is a bold plan. He said, we're going to go invade just you and me, buddy. We're going to go. You, you with me? Now, I don't know about you. If, if, if my boss man came to me and said, hey, we're going to go pounce on a bunch of really super tough guys. They all got swords. We have one. Let's go. I'm going to say, oh, man, my back today is really hurting. I, I, I can't quite make it, boss. But this guy has no complaint. He says, whatever's in your heart, let's go. And they take off, and they're going to go, and they're going to uh, 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 go into the garrison of the Philistines. Now, I'm not a military guy, but somehow I think this is not a very good plan. Because he says, in verse number 8, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. He says, We're going to sneak up on them. I'd say, Yeah. We're going to sneak up on them. We're going to get them while they're sleeping. That'd be cool. Maybe they're eating and we'll sneak up behind them. Yeah, he says, we're going to sneak up on them. And then when we get right in the midst of them, we're going to say, woohoo, here we are. Not a great plan in my mind, but he seems to be led of God. He's the man that's making the plan. And this armor bearer says, I am going to go with you. He's a loyal individual. He's, he, he doesn't have a weapon. We don't know the, his name at all. He offers no discouragement. He doesn't say, now just a minute. Did you really think this through? Shouldn't, here we go. Shouldn't we pray about this? No way, he said, whatever you say. Look, if we've got a job to do, and we do, we need to be loyal, we need to be faithful, and we need to just go and march as, as our commander leads us. We need to go forward, and we need to do what we can do with what we have. And go forward and watch God do what God does best. The victory that is going to be won here, there, there's a, there, the, 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 the path is not all that, um, not all that easy. If, uh, if you would... 
back up in that chapter, chapter 14, and, and if you would look, uh, just want to bring out something in verse number 4. They're, they're describing here how he's going to get to the garrison. The Bible says in chapter 14, verse 4, and here's how they're going to go. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes and the other one was Senna. Now, later on there's some verses that, uh, well, verse number 6 is somewhat of an in, uh, indicator. But when I studied this out, it sounds like from where they're at, they've got to go three miles. And when they go three miles, they have to go between these two sharp rocks that are so notorious that they've named them. <laughs> so it's difficult to do what they're doing. And these names mean something like uh, 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 shining, and the other one uh, kind of means thorny. And, and the reference and the idea that they're trying to say is one's shiny like it's slippery. You could slide off of it. And the other's real thorny like it could cut you up. And so they decide to serve God and engage the enemies of God. And the very first thing that they do, they run in and get themselves between a rock and a hard place. Now, does that sound any bit familiar to you? When you've decided to make a decision, you've said, I make a decision. I'm stopping, I'm starting. I'm beginning, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take on this uh, responsibility in the church, I'm, I, I'm going to uh, uh, walk away from this sin, I'm going to make this a part of my Christian life, and, and as soon as you make that decision, immediately you run into difficulties. But God helps you through those, and God uses those things, and it won't be long until you're going to say, that, that I thought was so hard is nothing compared to what I'm facing now. You see, they're, they're going through between a rock and a hard place, and as soon as they get through that, they're going to be facing a horde of angry Philistines. With one, They all have swords, and they'll have one. <laughs> that rock is not going to seem so bad in just a little bit. And so when you're going through those hard things, those hard times, those difficult uh, situations... And it's not easy for you. You don't understand that God's going to use those things to tune you up, to sharpen your senses, to help you to be able to handle what's around the corner. You say, I want to see what's around the corner. Not me. I'll quit and go home if I know what's going to happen. I've lived long enough to do that. How, if, I would, if I would have known what it was like in the Arctic, I would have never went. I had this idea that I was going to go and it was going to be flannel graph stories and it was going to be just, you know, people falling at the feet of the gospel and they were going to say, oh, we're glad you're here to deliver the scripture to us. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't get a party when I arrived. I arrived there and, 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 and nobody was happy to see me. And people don't want to get saved. They want to stay in their sin. I mean, it just, if I'd have known all that, if I'd have known that I was going to lose a finger and I was going to get old and decrepit, if I'd have known all that, I'd have been scared to death. I wouldn't have went. But God just gave me a little bit of rough stuff, sharpened me up, toughened me up. And then when the real battle came, I hung in there. And you're in difficult struggles. I'm not making light of the trouble that people are in. It's tough. 
But look at it as God doing something. Look at it as God going through it with you. And God teaching you and strengthening you and and building you for His honor and glory as you go forth. Well, I need to move on this evening. Uh, It's a a path of of testing there in verse number 4. And then uh, let's just cut to the chase and let's get into the the, the battle stuff that's going to come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Uh, look, look in verse number 13. Chapter 14, verse 13. The Bible says, Jonathan climbed up with his, uh, upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. So they literally need to go on their, they need to crawl to get into this place where they're going to battle. And they get into a battle and people begin to, to, to fall around them, these, these, the, the, these tough guys with swords. And look what verse number 14 says. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, about a half an acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. That's impossible. Not with God. But humanly speaking, that is impossible for 20 armed tough guys to go to battle against two people, only one of them has a sword, and 20 tough guys fall. But the Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer slew, and so the impossible things happen. Now, let's be honest this evening guys think we think we're tough and we say you know what if i had to defend my wife in any situation mano a mano i'm gonna win i mean the the adrenaline would kick in and i may be a little overweight and i may not be very fast and i may have crickety bones but i'm gonna whoop that guy that's gonna try to hurt my family And then you'll say this, because you're a man. If two guys, I would, I I really think, push come to shove, that two guys coming after me, I could turn into a ninja warrior somehow. I would somehow be able to handle two guys. I don't know how I would try to do that. I don't know. I would do something to try, and I I would win two guys. Somehow. But no, let's keep going. Ask me if I can handle three tough guys with weapons. In, real, in the real world, I don't know. There's one of them that's going to get hurt real bad. <laughs> one of them's going to wish he didn't get involved in it. But I think it's not like they have it in the movies. You know, where... The stormtroopers come at Yoda one at a time, and they wait their turn. They don't do that in real life. It's all three of them on your head at once. Four? No. Let's jump to the chase. Ten. Two guys, 20 people, ten apiece. I can't do ten. I'm talking about impossible things. But this guy, Jonathan, and his armor bearer, had the sword, knew the responsibility, went and engaged the enemies of God, needed impossible things to happen. God stepped in and impossible things did happen. Do you need something impossible done 
in your life, in your marriage, your home, in your checkbook, in your church. What's the answer, Brother Steve? Is there a magic verse that we can poke and hope and read and it's going to fix it? No. This is going to be pretty simple. What I see from the Scripture? Take your responsibility. Do your job. That's the answer. In all of life, is that not true? To be a good dad, don't you just do the best you can? To be a good husband, to be a good wife, nobody taught you how to do that. You just got married and did it. And it worked out. You went through troubles. It was hard. But you did it. And in this business of finding God's blessing, you can get all the training you want to for the job you're to do. And the very first day on the job in ministry, you're going to say, what did I get into? They didn't teach me that. And so what do you do? You press on. You do what you can do. You, do your, you take your responsibility and you do it. And God steps in and impossible things become possible. Twelve guys turned a world upside down. Impossible. Not with God. You need something impossible? Just do what you're supposed to do. Do your job. One very difficult time in the very beginning of our ministry. I can't tell you, not in the Arctic, but before um, when I was an assistant pastor uh, up in, in northern Ohio. I can't tell you all the instances. I don't have time to do it, but it was difficult. It was tough. I didn't know what to do. And all I could do was stand before the staff and I told them, I don't know what to do, but I know one thing we have to do. We have to do our job today. I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to do the day after. I'm not even sure about this afternoon, but this morning we're going to do our job. Do it, take our responsibility. And you know what? Somehow, as a kid in ministry, I made it through, and they made it through. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Pastor was talking this morning about the, tra- the, the trail back and returning uh, U-turn. Just a series of bad things got him where he was. A series of doing the right thing, good choice after good choice after good choice. I was involved in the addictions ministry in the north. And the message to the folks that needed to overcome was just start stringing together a series of one good thing after another. Say, I can never get away from my addiction. If you want to go there with that at this point in your thinking, I can't change your mind. But I will do everything possible to change your mind that you can do one good thing. You can make one good choice, the one that's right in front of you. You can do that, make that good choice. And they did. I said, no, another one. And we saw a lot of folks change. My whole church, my whole church was not one individual that was not at one point hopelessly Addicted to alcohol or drugs and alcohol. Now they're servants of God that I would die for. They're amazing people. Oh, we need to go on. Improbable things begin to happen when you just do the right thing and do your job. We, we, we looked at verse number 14. Now look at verse number 15. The Bible says in verse 15, And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and all the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. Jonathan and his armor bearer go to battle 
God blesses in, in a mighty way. They take down 20 guys, and the next thing you know, an earthquake comes. <laughs> Timing with God is never called a coincidence. God is involved in this thing in ways that they could have never expected. And, and the Bible says there was a great trembling in the host. I've never been in an earthquake before. Well, a little short one. I said, what was that? And then we watched the news and we found out it was an earthquake. But that's the, nothing like the California or Japan stuff. But it's frightening, I hear and see when I'm watching the footage on YouTube, you know, people going wacko with it. But, but, but there's, a, there's a trembling and an earthquake, and it was a very great trembling. God's involved in this thing. Amazing things are happening. The enemy is becoming fearful. Look, look, look at verse number 16. And the, the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. You've got to get the picture. These are, again, the biggest and baddest and toughest Philistines you can imagine. These are the, guy that, the guys that, you know, Goliath were buddies with. They, they, went, they were in the same unit. <laughs> and, 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 and they get defeated. Twenty of them get defeated. The earth starts shaking. It's, an, it's a scary situation. And now... They are confused, and the only thing I can figure that that scripture says, they went on beating down one another, it means they went on beating down one another. And so here's Jonathan and Saul, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they got their swords and say, man, did you see that? We just cleaned up on 20 guys. That's pretty good. Okay, let's go find some more to kill. And they, hey, you stupid Philistines, quit fighting each other and come fight us. These Philistines are beating each other. And they're saying, I, I, I would like to fight and kill somebody. I'm ready. I still have my sword. Now, who's doing that? You can't make this stuff up. You can't write this if you're in Hollywood. God is doing that. You need something amazing to happen in your life. You don't need to watch it on TV. You don't need a self-help book. You need to come to church. You need to hear the preaching of the Word of God. You need to get on your knees. You need to do the right thing, and then the right thing, and then the right thing, and then the right thing, and watch God get involved in the miracle that you need. You need somebody saved? You need a family member saved? Salvation is a miracle. You can do everything humanly possible. It's not going to happen until God gets involved in that business of them being drawn by the Spirit of God to a place where they will come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Oh, this thing goes on. Verse number 17, the Bible says, Then Saul, here we go, we're going to talk about Saul. What was Saul doing? He's sitting under the, the pomegranate tree. Then Saul said unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who's gone from us. And so they numbered and they found out it was, it was Saul, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, leadership was inspired because people were just doing what they were supposed to do, taking their responsibility. You want to be a help and support to those whom God has placed to lead this church? You need to do your job. Say, but Brother Steve, I have wisdom. I have wisdom and I feel I should pull brother so-and-so inside and, and give them of my wisdom. I'm so wise. 
Can I tell you the best thing you can do being a missionary pastor? Just do your job. That is so inspiring. It wakes us up. It says, look at that. Look, they're faithful. Look, they're doing what they should do. Look, even though it's a tough time, they're still faithful to God. That's inspiring. That's encouraging. Look what happens in verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. It inspired comrades. You ever come to the place where you're doing something in church and you you, you kind of slip and you say, boy, I'm the only one doing it. How come I'm the only one doing it? So-and-so is not doing it anymore. How am I going to, you know, how can we get them to come? And so sometimes you say things. Sometimes you try to use sarcasm. Boy, that works great, don't it? Never worked for me. I like it, but it never accomplishes what I intend it to do. You know what the best thing to do to get people to go to work and do the jobs that need to be done in the cause of Christ? Profound, but it's true. Do your job. Do the right thing. Do what you have to do. Take your responsibility and watch and see what happens. Look what happens. We go on. Um, uh, well, well, there's a, I, I, the Bible says... Yeah, verse number 20 again. Uh, and Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. There we go again. They're still beating on each other. They haven't quit that. And there was a very great dip- discomfiture. I wasn't sure what that was, but that discomfiture has something to do with embarrassment. <laughs> Wouldn't it be embarrassing to be a big bad Philistine? you got swords and the army that's fighting you doesn't. And the army that's fighting you Started out just two guys. And there was a bunch of sleepy ones that were taking it easy, but they came to battle, and we're losing big time. Embarrassed. Look at verse number 21. Moreover, the Hebrews, now follow this, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. So wait a minute, did I get that right? Did I catch that right that, that, that there, were, there were Hebrews that were with the Philistines? Yeah. This is how I think it went. Honey, I hate to tell you, but they took our swords. <laughs> we're not going to be able to stand against these Philistines. So here's what I think we ought to do. Let's quit. Let's leave this Hebrew bunch. They're going to lose. Let's join in with the Philistines. They got swords. They're going to win. I'm just worried about you and the kids, and, and I think this is the safest thing. And, 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 and boy, I haven't slept for nights because I know this, but, but this is my decision. And they made a really bad decision walking away from God. Really bad decision. But because there were two guys that were doing what they're supposed to do, Taking the responsibility, these people said, I made a bad choice in life. I made a really dumb mistake. I think I'm going to go turn around and I'm going to do the right thing and go back to the right people, the people of God. Have you ever seen somebody quit? You ever seen somebody make a bad decision? 
How do we approach those people? How do we do with them, deal with them? You know what some people say? I don't know what to say, preacher. I don't know what to say to them. I don't either. They don't teach you that in school. You know what the best thing to do? Do the right thing. Do your job. Take your responsibility. Do the right thing over and over again. Let them see that this business of serving God works. Let them see your church work. Let them see your life work. Let them see it. And forgive them because we've all made dumb mistakes. Let them have the opportunity to make a better choice. And there's scars and all of that. And I'm not saying that we don't have consequences. But God's always saying, come on back. The doors are open. You can make the right choice. Well, verse number 20 or 22, the Bible says, Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. There were just people that were afraid. There were just people that were afraid to be involved in what was going on. And they heard what all was, and they were inspired, and they said, hey, I can do that. There's folks in our churches, and if you say the number one thing, why why won't you sing in the choir? Why won't you teach a Sunday school class? Why won't you be involved with an outreach program? I, I don't know, I just can't do that, it's not me. It's just, I'm too, uh, we won't say we're scared, but we're scared. And so the best thing to do is to preach at them, prod them, make them ashamed, right? Not a chance. Do your job, do your responsibility, do the right thing, encourage them, and they'll say, you know, I can do that. First time you stand up here, and I don't know whether your music folks here will will admit this to you, but I'll admit it to you. The first time you stand up here to sing, then you know the first thing that happens? You lose all your saliva. I was going to say spit, but you know. You, you, You lose it all. And you try to swallow, and you can't, and you're scared to death. Your knees shake, and instead of going, you know, amazing grace, you go, amazing. It's it's scary. How do you overcome that? Somebody gets up there and sings, and they're going, amazing grace. And the person sitting on there said, oh, man, that's what I would do. I would, my knees would rattle. But you know what? They're doing it. And everybody's blessed by their effort. And then you watch them, and then it's a blessing, and then the next thing you know, it's like, man, is that an awesome event? And you're just encouraging people. How? By being something spectacular, by finding the most amazing verse in the Bible? No. Just do your job, take your responsibility, do one good thing after another, and just do the right thing over and over again. And the Bible said back in verse number 6, and I'll be done as we read it, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be that the Lord will work for us. He said no guarantees. No guarantees. But I'm going to do the right thing anyways. You need a miracle, there's no guarantees that God is going to make somebody healthy again. 
but you still do the right thing and ask God for it. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to uh, uh, see somebody that's living wrong turn around and make the right choices. But if you do the right thing over and over again, you seek and ask God's help, you do the right thing, you take your responsibility, you do what you can, you try to be an example, it may be that God will do an amazing thing. It doesn't have to be many, it can be one, it can be a few, but God wants to do something amazing and wonderful through you, through simple people, even though the odds are against us.